Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Leftology podcast. And um, today I'm going to go over the uh, kind of some of the principles behind social democracy and democratic socialism um, with Sid and uh, Chad Nutshud or Delaniac here with me today. Would you guys like to introduce yourselves? Sid, you, you go, go first, Chad? You go, you go first, I'll go second. All right. Well, I'm uh, Chad Nutshud slash Delaniac on Twitter. Um, I think that's mostly the full introduction. Like, I don't have any notable credentials in this space. Uh, other, other than the free marketplace idea, uh, the free marketplace of ideas has deigned me with a large number of followers. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, hey, everybody. I'm Sid. I go by Lil Baby Gandhi on Twitter. I'm a classical social democrat, which means that I generally want people to lead the freest lives possible. And I think that this generally entails a freedom from the coercion of the market. Uh, and for this to exist, we have to be able to envision a system beyond capitalism. And that's kind of what I do. Uh, beyond just posting on Twitter, I run uh, the Nordic Model, which is probably most known for its podcasts, uh, where I interview like some really intel intelligent people and talk about things like uh, the welfare state, cooperatives, or the history of social democracy. So if you want to get involved and know more about social democracy, I would really encourage you to give the interviews a listen. So and I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Damn, I yeah. got to practice my plug. That was well rehearsed. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was I was on Dr. Hume's one. I didn't have a good one, so uh -huh. I spent my time writing this over the past week. So you, you just got to start a podcast so that you have something to plug. Like, yeah, I know. Every man has to have a podcast. I, th I think that should be a law. Yeah, like that's, two, that's, two that's out of two, long two part, out right? of three, two out of three people in this conversation have a podcast. Dad, that's all I'm saying. I know. I'm slacking. I'm slacking. Um, yet, uh, so I've listened to uh, one or two of the episodes of the Nordic Model so far. Um, so I kind of don't necessarily want to go into specifics because I want people to go to that uh, YouTube channel uh, description below, um, or in the description below, um, and watch those videos. I know you guys went over kind of welfare states and um, ooh, what's it the social, social wealth, wealth funds. funds yes that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um so i kind of want to avoid that so that people go and watch those videos um so i kind of just want a more general level um just people getting into um social democracy or democratic socialism in general um so like what are i'm gonna try and phrase this maybe in two ways just kind of like what are these the principles behind this movement and kind of like leaving out this like utopian communist dream like what is the practical i guess the practical worldview that it's looking towards might be the best possible way i can phrase that question sure so i mean i think this is something that, that you know sid alluded to and is you know once again flawless flawless intro um thank you which is basically you know this idea of, of like freeing people from the coercion of the market this is something that um you know social democratic movements for, for you know forever have, have talked about and the, the phrase used often, which isn't a great phrase, I don't think, is, is what's called like the decommodification of labor. Um, that doesn't actually mean that you, you labor isn't bought, bought and sold in the market, like decommodifying labor used in this sense um, doesn't imply uh, like an abolition of the labor market, but typically what it means is um, basically that you're, re you're removing people's re reliance on the market, you're ending the individual coercion to enter the market, right? So the way that this works, you know, in, in, in a perfectly decommodified state, um, you'd, you'd be getting paid the same amount whether you work or not, right? And, and, and so things like unemployment insurance, um, you know, UBI to an extent, uh, you know, universal health care, these, these sorts of things um, uh, uh, reduce the dependency of people on the market, right? That, that if you need to leave the labor market for whatever reason, at an individual level, um, then, then you can, right? Obviously, at like a macro level, full employment is also a goal. 
um, uh, which, which, so the goal is to get lots and lots of people working, but at the same time, reduce the individual coercion to entry link. I think, I think that's a very succinct breakdown. I, I think uh, basically, yeah. So decommodification, while not you know, perfectly stated, is a pretty good term. We want to remove uh, the ability of the, owner, the owners of capital that who basically threaten workers with starvation if they don't sell their labor. Uh, we want to remove that by having a very large universal and stable welfare state to remove people's like kind of coercive way of entering the market. But also beyond this, we want to kind of reduce their uh, like dependence on the family unit maybe. So we want basically people to be as free as possible. And I think uh, on, on one hand, it, that's also, it runs in hand with political democracy. We want to be able to be active and willing participants in the political system, but also in the economic system. We want them to have the same level of democracy, whether it's entering the labor market or even within their firm. So I think that's generally the basic tenet of social democracy. Yeah. Um, so I guess kind of a follow-up, um, this might be, I guess, a little bit more uh, philosophical slash postmodern question. Um, but I guess from how I view, like, uh, I guess, neoliberal to further right, there kind of just seems to be this ideology of where the, the economy is kind of this um, force that humanity is supposed to serve. And while this isn't true, there's a lot of people that believe it. Um, how do you think that we, as uh, I guess leftists, need to kind of combat this ideology to serve that, or to show that the economy is supposed to be for human interests, not the other way around? I think just one great point that I always bring up is that the economy does not serve basically half of the population in a country. Half the population of a country at any time is either unemployed, they're either in old age, they're either children, or they're incapacitated because of some physical or mental disability. These are people that the market does not provide for. These are people that the economy does not provide for unless we channel the kind of capital that it generates into productive uses of humanity. So right off the bat, I think there's a problem with phrasing it as, you know, the economy is going to just serve people because it doesn't serve half the people in the country. Just to tack on to that as well, I mean, there's this idea, there's this sort of like broader idea, um, and it's something like that that um, Pernick has written about, um, you know, this idea that there's sort of this like default distribution of, of wealth or income, and then, you know, to change that is to redistribute when that's not, that, that, that's not accurate, right? All of, all of these institutions, the, the state, the market, these things are human institutions. I, if not to serve other, if not to serve like the well-being of humans, I, I don't know what they're for. Um, and, and so there is no, there is no you know redistribution. There is we change the institutions and that creates you know a new distribution. But there's no default. There's no default. Uh, um, you know distribution of resources or goods. That's a choice that we make. So like in terms of you know how to combat the the, the idea. I mean there there is this this broader idea that like um, there's this kind of natural. You even see this. You even see this amongst left amongst some leftists who oppose like um, um, who oppose. Uh, like Pigouvian taxes on uh, uh, like cigarettes or, or, or alcohol or these sorts of things, where the idea is like, oh, well, you know, we can't do that because that's making these goods more expensive um, and, that, and that harms people or whatever. But then surely if you believe that, uh, then you should want to subsidize these goods to zero, right? That, that would be the, the, the progressive way um, to, to subsidize things like cigarettes to zero. Um, like why, why are you relying, why do you think that the market price happens to be the default one? Um, and so this, this, this sort of idea that that there's there's some sort of you know inscribed to us by nature um, uh, um, you know institutions I think affects people all across the political spectrum um, and, and the answer is just these these are institutions that we create what what else can they serve other than you know what else should they serve other than you know the happiness and well-being of humans. Yeah, 
and I mean, just to just to be clear on my side, like I'm not against markets. You can you can be for markets and against capitalism. Mm-hmm. We're against the particular way that the market is organized right now, where there's a very stilted ownership of you know capital goods and non-produced assets in the hands of a very very select portion of our population, and the rest of us has to submit our labor power under threat of death. We're against this kind of unequal tilting of the market. We're not necessarily against. At least I'm not. I can't speak for Chad, but I think we're generally pro-market, anti-capitalist. If that makes sense, that's and that's gonna that's gonna catch a lot of flack from people on the left as well, but that's 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 generally what I believe. Yeah. So it it's kind of a, the problem is the boss, not the uh, firm, kind of sentiment. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, yeah, in general, right? The the, the problem is that um, you know, there's this huge uh, 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 you know uh, portion of, of national income, namely capitalist share, that is accrued to this you know tiny proportion of people right and, and, and along with that that income it's not just it's not just the income right we, this wouldn't be solved just by taxing with the income um also it also means that you know decisions are made um by a very small economic decisions are made by a very small group of people um yeah so but the, the problem is, isn't necessarily a market per se yeah uh, so kind of the goal over here i guess in general what i'm getting is a kind of deep commodification um between, I guess, your two views of uh, leftism. Um, and th- there's many, poss- even if that's probably not a great term to use, um, as Chad pointed out, um, there's many different ways um, to do that, as you've stated. I remember um, about, ooh, how long has it been? Maybe about eight or so months ago, I read this uh, book, I think it's called um, Automation and the Future of Work. Um, I wanna say the author's name is Aaron Beninev, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. But the, the fourth chapter of that book out of, out of five chapters total, um, it's a pretty good read. I kind of suggest it, um, but it's on UBI. And I was kind of just thrown back at just how many, like how large the spec on the political spectrum, UBI is kind of a popular ideal in its different forms, especially on the right. I'm, I'm kind of confused on the right because like what I'm used to in right-wing politics is kind of the American right-wing of this like uh, like libertarian uh, small government or small government uh, except on like social issues kind of like, um, and it kind of is that. Um, so, the furthest left uh, I could find in that chapter was like replacement of full income. I'm not sure if either of you are like pro that or not. Kind of the goal is like full decommodification of where like the government provides you your yearly income and you decide to work or not. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's feasible under any economy, but the one on the right kind of, it did and didn't surprise me at the same time. So it would be, um, it was, pro- I forget who proposed it, but it's like some like right-wing, like libertarian guy, um, like religious. Um, and the goal here was $1,000 um, a month, uh, which is equal to, I guess, um, a normal welfare payment under the American government. So it, it served two goals. Um, it was like a semi-decommodification in that it was supposed to free the worker up enough to go back to church and go back in the family life and um, also get rid of the welfare state completely. Um, I guess my extension of that is um, UBI is becoming more popular um, among the political spectrum with people like Andrew Yang um, for a leftist UBI that's supposed to support this decommodification of labor, how do we avoid these more reactionary types of UBI? Do you, do you want to start, Sid, or do you want to? No, you, you go ahead. 
Uh, yeah, so I, I think, uh, I mean, I, I, there's a couple of points, I think, to respond to there. So one thing is, yeah, so generally the right-wing support for, for UBI is as, as a way to get rid of the welfare state. Um, and to be clear, there are things that in the welfare state that, you, that UBI absolutely should not, uh, um, uh, should not replace, right? So these would be things like unemployment insurance um, serves a, a very different purpose. I mean, get into why if you want, but, but unemployment insurance, disability insurance, um, old age pensions, all of these things serve fundamentally different purposes um, uh, than does UBI. Um, how, you know, however, there are there are programs, there are welfare programs, like in the, in the United States context, that absolutely should be replaced by just universal cash benefits, right? So these are things like TANF, temporary assistance for needy families, um, you know, SNAP, food stamps, um, you know, th th these sorts of programs, which are these horribly means-tested um, uh, 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 assistance programs, it, it would be made much much simpler and, and much more generous by, by simply replacing the cash. Um, we can talk about why that is as well. Um, I mean, so, so in terms of like your direct question, which is how do we avoid these, you know, reactionary tendencies with, with, with UBI or these sorts of things? I mean, the answer is we, we need to have a very clear vision, I think, of what welfare programs ought to be cut, um, uh, you know, ought to be replaced by UBI um, and what welfare programs shouldn't be um, and have, you know, clear justifications as, as to why, right? And not accept, not accept unemployment insurance being cut, for example. Yeah, I, I basically agree with Chad, uh, you know, some of these programs, we know cash is fungible. So things like SNAP, where you have your, you know, EBA card and you change that for that, you, cash can just be a, like a, a, a medium for that. Those things can be easily replaced. But yeah, I do have a problem that with people that see UBI as this kind of quick fix to gutting down the welfare state and the power of government, because we do know that, you know, like welfare policy, actively helps shape labor markets in the way that we want. So for an example, like back in Sweden, back in Sweden, the 1970s, we saw like the highest rates of uh, female participation in the labor market. This was specifically because the welfare state shaped how the labor market works. So I, I, I'm, I'm very hesitant to see these conservatives, you know, be pro UBI because all they're using it for is to kind of reduce the power of the state and reduce the power of the welfare state. But we do know that the welfare state has, you know, many incredible benefits. I don't want to see it gutted just for UBI, but there obviously are a lot of places since cash is fungible where we can replace uh, some of the benefits that are being doled out with UBI. Yeah, um, I'm going to kind of get away uh, from the questions on the principles of social democracy. And I kind of mm -hmm. want to go to the second question I have um, in chat. It just, um, since most of the podcast people, at least for the foreseeable future, are probably going to come from like a mix of Twitter uh, or mostly Twitter politics. Um, and third way social democracy is fairly popular on there. Um, kind of what is the difference between classical and third way? And um, are there any reasons that you as more classical social democrats or democratic socialists don't want that get, getting mixed up? Yeah, so I think yeah. just right so this is right off the bat is uh, I talked with Tristam about this about a month back. Uh, and so basically we can narrow down social democracy to like four main epochs. So originally in the 1900s, uh, social democracy was like a really like big tent movement. So we had like hardcore revolutionary Marxists, we had anarchists, we had, you know, just classical social democrats, we all had them in the same party, and they were kind of working towards the same goals. Uh, and then we have the second epoch, which is like the post-war social democracy. This is where we actually controlled uh, some power in government, uh, and we were able to put together a lot of, you know, changes uh, in the political and economic system. And third way is like, basically, it's the third epoch of social, uh, social democracy. This 
arose in like the late 1970s as a reaction to neoliberalism. It was this kind of reaction to losing political power by social democrats. Uh, so there were there were kind of two main. Uh, there was a diversion basically in the 1970s of where social democrats could go. We could have gone the socialism route, which was what people like Rudolf Meidner proposed. This is where we tried to kind of socialize more and more of the economy, put it more under state power, uh, because he believed that, you know, as long as the power of capital uh, retains ownership of, you know, capital goods and non-produced assets, it will always have a gun to the head of the working class. Third way, social democracy had said something else. It said, you know, we've resolved these kind of contradictions in capitalism. We'll just have like a sprawling welfare state and capitalism and social democracy can go together and we can just keep going, uh, you know, as just go in the course. It, it, it doesn't work because what we see is like a weakening of labor power. We see like labor densities decreasing in Sweden, which was one of the most social democratic states at a very alarming rate. Uh, we see uh, that, uh, what was I gonna say? But yeah, yeah, we, we, we see the, like the loss of uh, labor power. We see the dismantling of the welfare state. And this is all brought together of what by what third way social democracy proposed. And I see it as like an affront uh, to social democracy because it, they want to have their cake and eat it too, right? They want to take credit to what labor unions, what, you know, the workers did, the kind of for, uh, like consumer and worker co-ops they put together, the welfare state that they put together. And they want to take credit for it. But the, you know what they're really responsible for is the dismantling of the welfare state. They're responsible for the kind of death knell of social democracy, democracy that we've been seeing for the past 20 years. I'm glad that we're seeing a resurgence now. But so third way social democracy is not the way to go. We tried it and it's not worked out. I think you know it's time to go back to where we were at that divergence in the 1970s. I think it's time to go to more reformist socialist route. But that's that's my that's my spiel on it. Just uh, I mean I think that was an excellent answer. Um, and just to tack on. Slight, like I take on slightly to like to explain maybe to people who are watching who are you know there is a dumb like there is sort of a dumb like debate around this where like on Twitter it's like is social democracy socialist or is it capitalist I mean the answer is sort of I mean the answer is people there are people now who call themselves social democrats who are capitalists um, social democracy historically has been a social you know has been a socialist movement um, and uh, uh, you know and the difference, by the way, some people who are listening who were like, I thought a social democrat was when you're capitalist and democratic socialist when you're a socialist. The answer is basically classical social democracy is democratic socialism. These are the same thing. The difference in these terms is literally a product of like translations from German or French. Um, so, you know, these, these terms are all kind of the same. I, I think the debates over the label are a little, are a little silly. Um, uh, the, the only like, one kind of thing that does irk me about some of this is like when people say like, oh, social democracy is capitalist, but it sort of ends up feeling like is like anytime socialists get into power and do good things, um, you know, right until like the last lemonade stand is nationalized, it's capitalism. And that's ca that's capitalism doing good. Um, and then when socialists do bad things when they're in power, then it's it's the socialist fault. So that, that does irk me about this kind of debate. It feels a little bit like erasing that history. Um, but in general, I don't really care about the label. I'll call myself whatever. Um, I, I want the things that I want and whatever label best applies to this. Yeah, I'm just saying, I, I get, I get, I get like, I get really annoyed uh, when people, you know, you want to take credit for all the good things that, you know, labor power, uh, you know, sectoral unions, that all the things that socialists work towards, but you want to kind of shield it under this capitalism label and say, oh, they can work unimpeded, but um, it's empirically not true. All we see is like a dismantling of labor power. Union density in Sweden is at, is at its lowest point. Uh, we see like just a constant erosion of the welfare state. I mean, that's the legacy of so third way social democracy that we should be owning up to. Um, and you know, another, this, I had a great uh, episode with um, 
David Sliger, who's a, like a welfare economist uh, in Australia. And he talked about how, uh, you know, in Australia, they set up a, a, a very good welfare state to start, but it's just been constantly eroded by years and years of middling kind of social democracy and kind of conservatism. So this, they, they don't create anything long lasting, but they want to take credit for all the successes of the socialist movement. I find that really irksome. I agree with Chad on that. Uh, oh, that provides a good, um, I guess, segue to the next uh, sub question I have um, is, I guess, uh, Sweden and Australia are probably the best examples. Um, but you see kind of like, um, not Sweden and Australia, Denmark and Australia are the best examples. Um, Sweden's like a, maybe like a third or fourth good example. Um, but you kind of see um, labor become more reactionary in these uh, states over time, especially over the last maybe like 10, 20 years or so that is kind of a threat to a lot of these social democratic um, programs that have been put in place since like the 40s or 50s. Um, for me personally, I think it's probably a um, good sign of why uh, American socialist program might be a little bit more long lasting. Um, but I guess, how do in more countries that haven't had the, I guess, racial background that America has and the racial progressiveness that has kind of resulted in uh, maybe like a third of the pro uh, population of this country um avoid this like reactionary turn once the world becomes more globalized people receive refugees like in denmark um where they i think ban the um incoming of refugees i'm not sure to what extent um but how do we once you get these social democratic policies in, in place how do we avoid i would guess a more reactionary turn like in britain or denmark or australia you take this in? You go uh, ahead. I mean, so I'm not like an expert on on other on you know the countries that you mentioned, the, the politics within those countries. Um, I mean, I, you know, speaking from an American context, I mean, I think we kind of have the same problem, um, where the, this sort of like a lot of like this culture war stuff, um, you know, is used to divide people. Um, and the, the, this this ultimately you know is, is is inhibiting people. It's you know it's causing a whole bunch of like conservative Republicans to end up voting against their own you know material interests, right? Um, and, and I think the solution, at least you know, the solution that I see, um, uh, you know, is is I, I kind of I kind of agree with the whole like David Shore popularist stuff mostly, um, which is basically you know talk do you know campaign on popular things and do the things that you need to do that are unpopular once you're elected. Right. So play up more of the sort of like play up more of the class politics stuff in in rhetoric. Right. And that doesn't mean giving up on things like racial equity, certainly. Um, but it means, you know, de-emphasizing, for example, police issues in rhetoric. Right. And then, you know, get get DSA people, get leftists and stuff into uh, you know city councils, um, state and local government. And, you know, the the you know the, this that that will come right the, 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 those sorts of things come by getting these people into power in order to get these people into power you know emphasize certain parts of the rhetoric and de-emphasize other stuff I think I think Sid's frozen yeah we'll give him a minute yeah I think I'm basically on on the thing oh am I frozen yeah you were frozen back, for man. a second oh my back my back yeah, yeah you're good. I'm oh, sorry, that's weird. Yeah, no, I basically agree with Chad. I think, you know, um, use the political power that you have some popular stuff. And, you, you know, we're on the right side of popular stuff. People do like the kind of policies that, that you know, more left of center and social Democrats kind of push. 
do that and keep winning elections and then we can push policy that may be unpopular and we can just keep doing the popular things right alongside with it i think that's the only way out yeah i remember um back in like early 2020 late 2019 a bunch of people i guess on the bernie side of the left um were complimenting him um even though he supported these um i guess social reforms in america like most of his campaign focused a lot more on economic issues than anything else. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I guess extending Chad's point is that that kind of allowed the way for a lot more um, Trump supporters to kind of find their way to the left, especially the older generations that were facing these healthcare problems. And um, I, I think you'd see it about like uh, once every few weeks on like Bernie's um, like Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or wherever you saw of like him, uh, interacting with people in the crowd that like wouldn't survive in like the healthcare market we have or aren't surviving in the healthcare market we have and they just like be very emotional and these are a lot of the people um in some of these videos were i guess fairly reactionary trump supporters type people but i think i would agree with chat on this as well um, which i'm not going on a podcast representing democratic socialism i am the podcast um but I think it, it is in the interest of the left to focus on left economic issues because a lot of the people understand, even if they are re more reactionary on social issues, um, which we also don't kind of want that um, in the long term, that they need stuff like Medicare for all in the long run. Um, yeah, but, I, mean, I think it's also just, you know, sort of it's raising the salience of it's all in addition to like you know doing popular stuff and 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 you know campaigning on popular stuff and then you know if you have to doing the unpopular stuff once you're elected in addition to that i mean there's also an element of raising the salience of of the programs the government does like the welfare programs the government um uh, has and and decreasing the salience of the taxes as much as possible right so what that means is you know in terms of on the welfare side of things that means um you know having simple programs that are you know easy for people to get on that people directly benefit from right i think like if you like think of those tiktoks you know i don't know if you saw like that tiktok trend that came out after the ctc checks out when went out the first time and there's all these people like you know like dancing on tiktok because they just got like even sometimes unexpectedly you know uh, a couple hundred bucks in their in their uh, uh you know in, in their bank account right that that is a program with you know with highly salient benefits right universal cash programs have have are, are highly salient and you know, enact these programs and then take credit for them. Um, and then on the tax side, right, it means things like, you know, it means, you know, where you can uh, trying for, for, you know, low salience taxes, right? We, we need, we need uh, broad-based taxation, but, you know, th there are kinds of taxes um, uh, uh, that, that people care about more because you see the, you, you see the bill more directly, right? It's so like a VAT, for example, tends to be pretty low salience because you don't, oftentimes you don't directly see uh, um, what tax you're paying, right? The, the taxes sort of added up uh, through the production process. Compare this to property taxes where you have to cut the government a big check twice a year, right? That's a very high salience tax. There's lots of pressure to lower it and people directly see when they lower it that like this check that I'm writing this year is lower. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's like, that, that's a big part of it too. Yeah, I remember I mean, yeah. Uh, Matt Brunig talking about the um, checks like a, maybe like eight or so months after they came out um, for the first time. And I remember him using it kind of um, like the doors open and it can't be closed again kind of 
I guess, way. And that beforehand, like people had this like small government, um, the government needs the least amount of uh, tax me the least amount as possible and spend the least amount as possible as well. And uh, Matt Brunick was talking about how like the doors open, people got their government checks and they're like, oh my God, I actually love this. <laughs> this is actually yeah. really helpful for me. Um, and I, I'm not sure if it will be, but he was talking about it as kind of this curse to more um, Republicans and moderate Democrats in that people like these progressive policies. They like getting their money from the government now. Um, they can see that it's actually really beneficial for a lot of people to get their money from the government. Um, do you it's think- It's literally that, like when Republicans say like, uh, you, the Democrats just want you to get hooked on welfare. It's like unironically, yes, actually. I, I want people I, I want people to like get welfare from the government and realize that that's good. And <laughs> Yeah, I want, I want welfare to be like the spice melange. You can't live without yeah. it, but it'll make you live twice as long. <laughs> No, and, and these these programs are like incredibly popular and they're also like very effective like the child tax credit pulled 50 percent of children who are in poverty outside of poverty uh, social security for example pulls 38 i think it's 38 percent of elders who would be in poverty without it out of poverty wow these are like su successful programs that work for people campaign on those and um just to clarify what chad was saying about broad-based taxation when we create these, uh, you know, low salience taxation programs, but high salience in terms of the benefits that you receive, you create a system where you increase the size of the redistributive budget. You make it easier to tax people in the long term because people can see the effects of good welfare. They can see if the government's cutting them a check to help pay, uh, you know, for their kids' education, for their kids' needs, whatever, for help helping them pay for whatever needs that they have in retirement as, you know, old people. They can they can see this and and, and they're more willing to pay higher taxes. So it, 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 when we when we put in place these successful welfare programs, we set the stage to creating even more successful welfare programs. We need to keep doing this kind of stuff just forever. Right, there's, there's a typical argument for means testing, which is that, um, you know, for any, you know, if, if, if the budget constraint, right, is exogenous and we just have to figure out, we have some X amount of dollars, we need to figure out how to distribute these. Well, clearly, you know, hyper means testing is gonna do the most amount of money with, you know, relative to that fixed budget constraint. But the thing is that budget constraint isn't exogenous, right? It's endogenous. Um, welfare, pro you know, having these universal welfare programs increases the your ability um, and increases the willingness um, for higher taxation to fund more welfare programs, right? Um, so, uh, uh, all this to say, universal cash-based program, you know, universal uh, cash welfare programs are good, and we should do more. Yeah, and, and there, there's a paper on this. I think it's Corpy and Palm. It came out in 1998. Mm -hmm. It talks about specifically this. Um, I would I would encourage anybody listening to check that out. Okay, I kind of want to move on to I guess uh, final subject. Um, just this is uh, where Twitter uh, Twitch politics enters. Um, I know today, um, which I mean, the podcast won't come out for another three or four days, um, but you got to dunk on Haas. Um, but uh, I guess I first want to talk about like this uh, wave of patriotic socialism, because um, uh, personally, um, my long term dream is a one world government, um, not an Illuminati <laughs> type, but the, uh -huh. this uh, borders are fucking stupid. Why the why the hell do we have them? Let's get away with them kind of shit. Um, so how do we kind of, I think, I think um, my personal view, because I haven't watched Peter Coffin in like two years, I never watched Infrared, and then I, I was kind of forced to learn who Jackson Hinkle was by Twitter. Um, <laughs> just, so my understanding of it is that they're trying to, I guess, appeal to like the broader working class um, in one way or another. 
by like kind of dropping their principles. Um, and I know Infrared specifically and Jackson Hinkle, I guess both of them, um, they've tweeted about it recently of just this kind of like the working class is just such a specific thing, which I, uh, to a degree, I agree with them in a, a, a different intent way. Um, but I guess just, I guess turning on what we need to change from the, the right wing to problems in the left wing, how do we combat patriotic socialism? Because I don't like it. <laughs> well, I, you know, I personally cannot think of any historical time where combining nationalism and socialism has ever turned out poorly. So, uh, um, you know, I feel like maybe we just don't have to worry about it at all. I don't know. <laughs> You're telling me national socialism is not a good thing? I just, first uh, I've heard yeah. of this. Wait, I thought some of the national socialistic stuff was a Sockdom theory. Mein Kampf is Sockdom theory, right? Oh, yeah, dang. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. uh, yeah. That's that's the meme. I was actually uh, I was gonna do the meme, but I don't want to buy Mein Kampf, nor do I want to get it from my <laughs> library. So it might be a little bit sus. Yeah, I mean, so, so I think the, the so there's there's a a kernel, you know, in this sort of like popularist angle, right? There's a kernel of truth, uh, you know, a kernel of something. I think maybe you know maybe good at least in the high level idea of this like patriotic socialism thing, which is. Um, you know, I don't necessarily think that like politicians saying that like America is bad, but that's like going to win you very many elections, right? So there's there's some sense in like in which people do have a you know a sense of pride, and I don't think that necessarily we should like encourage that encourage that. I'm not especially patriotic, um, but you know if it's unpopular to like say America bad, uh, um, and that's going to prevent you from getting elected, then you know don't say America bad. Um, however, this, this like weird, you know, red brown reactionary stuff that comes from these people. I mean, what do we do about it? I think, honestly, I mean, I think especially infrared and, and uh, yeah, especially infrared and um, J uh, Jason Hinkle or Jackson, Hinkle, whatever his name is. Um, I think these people are like mainly grifters. I, I did engage with, with Haas a little bit today on Twitter. And I, <laughs> I, usually my rule is not to, um, but I, I think Honestly, I think it's just ignore these people. Like, you know, if they start, if we start seeing these kinds of people getting like politicians elected, which I don't think is especially likely, um, you know, then, or, or there starts to be like, you know, kind of like unite the right style rallies with these people, you know, with, with this like weird red brown faction, then maybe there's something to worry about. I think mainly it's like, don't give them air. And I, I made the mistake of doing that today. So I'm, I'm not living up to my own, uh, um, to my own advice, but. I just, I just have, I, I have a question. So the, these guys are patriot socialists, right? Yes. And um, aren't, aren't they, aren't they huge like China fanboys too? Like, is that, is that, is that them? I have no idea. I, I know yeah. for the thumbnail, I'm probably going to put Peter Coffin and like his, um, I'm not sure if it's best to put you guys or Peter Coffin and his like uh, America, like a tight swimsuit as yeah. the better thing. Because one's funny just, and then one's Just plaster active. my face on Peter Coffin's body. Okay, I'll, I'll do yeah. that. <laughs> send send me a good, uh, like, a selfie or, like, portrait photo, and I'll, I'll, I'll make sure to cut it, like, perfectly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, no, sorry, I cut you off. What were you saying? Uh, well, I, I was going to add to the point of, like, appealing to the, uh, I guess, the broad, like, more patriotic working class. I think as leftists, in order to, like, avoid, like, class reductionism and do what, the, like, Stalin did in the 30s kind of shit, I think if we want to appeal to them um, and be kind of sort of patriotic, I don't think we need to like appeal to like this, like racist past, like this America is like the best country in the world kind of thing, but rather 
what America can be, I think Mm -hmm. might be the best way to put it. Like America has problems. America's kind of, it's not the best country right now. We've really fallen behind, but the good days aren't behind us. They don't have to be behind us kind of message. They, that if we all pull together, the good days can be in front of us. Tomorrow could be the day of sunshine for America. That kind of messaging. In some sense, you know, as, as flawed as like the founding fathers were, um, you know, you, we, you, you can definitely frame it as, uh, you know, we, we, we are wanting to fulfill the promises that they made and they did not themselves keep, right? Um, uh, 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 you know, these things like life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, all, all men are created equal, right? These, these sorts of things that, that they didn't, that, you know, they didn't do, um, uh, they didn't, they, they didn't uh, um, live up to, but, you know, we can't or we can try to. Um, and, 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 you know, pulling, pulling, uh, you know, f- f- figures like, you know, Martin Luther King and, you know, these kinds of, you know, American figures who, um, stood for the kinds of things that we believe in. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know, I don't know that I have like a super, as far as like these, these kind of like clowns on Twitter, especially Peter Coffin, I don't, I don't even know. I've never really watched him. And then he, sometimes, I sometimes see him on Twitter. Do you know his um, talent? His what? Peter Coffin, I think he went on a talent show once on television. I have not seen this. I have not um, seen this. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you guys the, the video link, but I think he can kick himself in the balls. <laughs> I, think, I think that's his talent. <laughs> well, that's how I feel every time I read, I read his tweets. So, uh, Yeah, I mean, when I was a baby leftist, Peter Coffin was one of the first people I watched, which I only watched maybe like a up of like 10 videos possibly. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh my god no, he yeah that's actually i just youtube video. Yeah, it's it's, he was on the steve harvey show as well <laughs> it's an amazing oh okay anybody that oh wants god. to see this this video is in the description below like it, it's hilarious. like the second thing you can see on there oh my god um it's a it's a funny video um but <laughs> i guess kind of a bridge of another kind of uh i guess left that we want to get rid of um not necessarily get rid of but um or purge but kind of like change uh i think it's socialist mma uh i'm not completely sure on the, the tag but yeah. kind of this general strike of podcasters kind of deal um i'm not exactly sure what's all with that or if you guys have any knowledge on that i mean i think probably these are so do you want to go i have no idea who, I, don't, I don't know what okay. any of this is <laughs> you need to take a look. I yeah, think- I'm, I'm like vaguely familiar with with some of this. I, I know there was that quite funny moment when they they got you know in, to their to their credit, right? They got um, somebody who was, who was striking. I think it was it was from the UAW who was part of the John Deere strike. Um, and you know they, they 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 platformed that guy, which I think is great. And they talked they 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 talked to them. And one of the, they were and one of them one of the guys who was interviewing him asked like, you know, are there any politicians that are like standing by you and helping you or or, or anything? Any any are any politicians standing with the workers? And it was very clear in his tone and facial expression that he expected the answer to be no. And the guy was like, yeah, no, actually, Bernie Sanders and AOC, you know, have been they've been like writing letters on our behalf and they sent us pizza and like all this kind of stuff. And like the guy's face is like. <laughs> Uh, uh it's not that, that was quite funny oh. i think probably there's this like there's this faction on the left who you know the left in the united states in particular has been marginalized for so long that like it doesn't want to believe that it has allies in government kind of deal yeah exactly there's this comfort in not having power right there's there, there can be a, especially if you don't have skin in the game um and like you're not being harmed that much like you're making it oh my um, god the socialists have become podcasters. democrats yeah, yeah yeah um you know there's, there's this comfort in 
in being marginalized, again, if you don't have skin in the game and aren't being actively harmed by that marginalization, because you don't have to take any responsibility, right? You don't have any power. So you, you know, you know, you, you, all you can do is, all you have to do is just sit back and say, hey, the current situation sucks. And that's all you have to do. And that's your job. Um, and so as the left is, you know, has had this, you know, bit of resurgence, especially in the last five years, um, you know, I, th I think you've seen this kind of group of people who, who, who do this, where they, they sort of just, they just, they just kind of heckle and just, you know, and just, and nothing's ever good enough. And, you know, actually anyone who gets in power is like by definition bad. And we, we instead need to like, you know, it's so we do the, the really practical thing and, and hope there's a, you know, a revolution in the next, in the next, you know, 10 years for climate change for us. That's yeah. I mean, I, so, I mean, I had a very interesting, uh, talk with Leo and we were talking about cooperatives about a month back and I, I see all of this as like such an affront to our lineage right just to like where we come from is like so some of the people the people that started you know just right off the bat people think you know the political arena is the only thing that we can compete in and this is the only thing we should focus on but no like markets are an arena where we as leftists can compete on that we should do and this is what our ancestors did um so when they started like some of the longest lasting consumer cooperatives in the 1900s these were like illiterate dirt farmers that worked 12 hours a day and they set up some of the most amazing consumer co-ops. They got together and they did it. And it's, it's such a waste of time to spend all our time on these fucking pointless endeavors when we could be doing something as simple as, and, and Leo talked about his last, as simple as volunteering for your local credit union. You can go work somewhere where you can have a you know, democratic way to allocate capital to people. You can do actually productive things, but instead we waste them on just like pointless things because we think the like the political arena is like the only one place we can compete but that's not true there's markets out there you can start a cooperative by yourself you can go volunteer at a cooperative you can go volunteer at a credit union there's so many better things to do with your time than get sucked in by these grifters in my opinion also join dsa Absolutely. yeah i, I did that's that back in april role, but also join dsa yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm canadian so i can't i can't give yeah, topical yeah, yeah. american political advice. a dsc or whatever you guys have idea i just i'm just part of the ndp here so oh oh yeah you guys are canadians have join the party. Party, yeah. we have a social democratic party so any canadians listening volunteer for your local ndp start organizing right now because next election is going to be in three years and you want to be prepared yeah i don't have a dsa near me but i, I send my five dollar student amount every month um eventually mm -hmm. i'll go to a meeting <laughs> um but i'll i'll try to put dsa links down below and then uh other than john deere are there any strikes going on right now that i can put funds um, yeah, let me get, there's a list of them. Um, I can send them to you. you just send them to me after the episode, okay. honestly. Um, yeah. I, I just want to put those down below. Um, a lot of strikes going on. If you have money, uh, send it to strikers. They need it. Uh, they need to pay for food and water, um, until they can get their demands met. Um, you know, solidarity forever. Yeah. Um, uh, I guess I don't really have any more questions unless you guys have questions for me. Not really. Oh wait, no, I do have I do have one more. Um try to keep it short so that um Chad can go. I forgot it while I was saying the last thing. Um, but I guess uh this is a little bit more philosophical. Um you see it on Twitter every once in a while, people doing the Fisher thing of no alter like you can't think of any alternatives. Um going back to our last subject of um these people always being in this mode of like trying to critique the current system and actually not doing anything because of it. Do you think that these people are kind of, um, even though they call themselves Marxist, Leninist, or whatever, they're so kind of 
embedded with this capitalist ideology of no alternative, that they just think they can perpetually stay this way of being the critiquer, the outsider kind of deal. Yeah, I think that's an, I think it's an interesting way to think about it. Um, yeah, there's there's this sort of um, you know, or, or even that that the only like what I I get the sense from a lot of these sort of like MLs and and. I don't want to, you know, one problem I have with kind of like talking about MLs is that they're not real, right? Like th this is like a tiny group. I mean, they're, they're real outside the United States, but, but you know, in, in, in the United States, right? This isn't a real group. Like I feel, I feel a little bit strange, like treating these people as if they're, they're like worthy of anything because they're not, they don't, they don't exist. They're a small group, a relatively small group of people who are very loud on Twitter. Um, but one thing I've noticed amongst such people is that like, that you know the the only thing they can think of is like the, their only conception of, of even even of socialism is things that are the things that have already been done right um and and you know okay what the, the ussr fell what do we learn from that right like what what have you learned from the fact that the ussr fell um what why you know i learned you, you can't out pizza the hut that's 200 years old what i learned you can't yeah. out pizza the hut <laughs> yeah 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 Thank you, Mikhail Gorbachev. Yeah, that, that's the problem I have is like, um, I'll see like ML reading list and they're like this um, Karl Marx, which Marx is important, but like in 200 years, like you can't take all of his advice to heart. Like Stalin, like a dictator who like, we can't kind of ignore or kill a few 10 million people. Mm -hmm. um, and then Mao, who also killed a few 10 million people and famine. Um, and then there's like, they just kind of ignore this like broad base of leftist theory. It's just like, the Frankfurt School kind of a, like there's a whole school of thought that addresses why the revolution hasn't happened yet. I think you should probably look at it for a little bit. Just um, anything, anything that's anything that's written after like anything written after 1980. Just 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 like one book written after 1980. That's all I want from these people. It, it's they, I, it, at some level they have this like a similar kind of like insidious rotten ideology that capitalists have, where they're like unable to imagine like any system outside of the one that's like already been ingrained in them. And I, I tweeted about this like two weeks ago, uh, but, but it's the same thing for MLs too. Like if you're incapable of like envisioning those already dead system, there's no like real ML society anymore. They've joined the global marketplace. It does not exist, I'm sorry. But if you're like completely incapable of imagining something better, like how different are you from the capitalists and neoliberals that exist right now? I just, I simply don't get it. Yeah. I mean, a better world is possible, but we have to keep moving on. It's, we're, there's no going back. Yeah, for uh, Chad's or Chad's point, um, like there's Verso and Haymarket, I think are the two biggest like current leftist uh, booksellers. Like, if you want to go on these stores, like Verso has like a permanent deal for so, like every book they have on their website is like twenty percent off at practically every time, and for the next month, um, like everything's forty percent off. Like people don't necessarily have an excuse to only be reading these classical leftist theorists, like these are not expensive but like this is like 15 dollars. like of course i got state and evolution today for like a dollar but like i think you have 15 dollars. just like most people have like 15 dollars every once in a while to spend on a book i think if they want to read this newer theory these new economic theories these new socio-political theories like they're there and they're organized for you and they're 40 percent off for the next month and you can also you get, can a, lot of, you can get a lot of stuff on like library genesis and, and for, well yeah like it's also free online suggest. if you don't I just like just, reading in person, you know. Just, yeah, just a quick, like, quick shell. Just, just as a, you know, books that at least you know uh, describe a possible future or describe, you know, I, I think these these kinds of things, sort of like constructive visions, are important. Um, one I don't particularly agree with, but at least does it is Pericon uh, by Michael Adler. Um, I, I don't really 
by, by it. I think it has a lot of problems, but at least it's constructive vision. Um, uh, a, a Future for Socialism by John Romer is one. Um, After Capitalism by uh, David Schweikert is one. Uh, that's, that's by far the one that I'd recommend the most. Uh, there's also, again, and I, this is not, I don't, I don't like this one. I don't think it's a particularly good vision, but at least it's a constructive one would be towards a new, towards a, towards a new socialism by Cockshot and Cottrell. That's like planning um, and big computer. And I don't think it's a particularly good, uh, a good way forward, but at least again, at least it's a way forward, right? Aren't you, aren't you going to do the, uh, like the complimentary pitch for capitalist power now? I thought this is a, this, this is the moment <laughs> where you do it. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think yeah, we can just go ahead and enter into plugs, the plug, the plug out whatever you want. <laughs> I mean, I, I, uh, I read, read Three Worlds of Welfare Capitalism. That, that'll yeah. get, get you an introduction to social democracy, at least. That, that's on my side. Do that one. Yeah, three, I would have definitely, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the Social Democrats' Little Red Book, um, uh, <laughs> Three Worlds of Welfare Capitalism. Um, highly recommend reading. Um, as far as plugs, you know, uh, follow me, obviously, on Twitter. Although I can, I, it would surprise me if, like, there are that many people who are watching this who, who don't follow me. Like, I, I have, um, like, 360 followers on Twitter. Like I'm getting yeah. there, but uh, most people follow you too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, subscribe to the Nordic Model also because uh, it's great. It, yeah. First uh, link in the description below, Nordic Model. Subscribe to the Nordic Model. 100 agreed. We interview some really cool people, and uh, we're hoping to have some really cool guests on. Also, read you know Matt Brunig, read uh, Three Worlds of Welfare Capitalism, and also one thing I, I really want to recommend to have you left this out there is to the best of your abilities, like please try to uh, understand how uh, financial markets work, how current capital <laughs> markets work, uh, because when we're able when we talk about socialization, we're not really we're not in the paradigm of the nineteen like nineteen forties anymore. We're in a new era. Um, it, 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 and it's, it's important for you to understand how we can go about kind of socializing finance because that's one of the most important things that we can do right now. And I know, uh, I, know I don't want to hammer this home, but Chad, had, I had a really excellent podcast with Chad on this about social wealth funds. Uh, and I would recommend that you go listen to it. He gave a great breakdown on it. And to, uh, to go beyond that, I'd say, you know, read up a little bit on financial markets because there's an actual entrance that we have as leftists to control some lever of financial power. So uh, do your best to get uh, read up on that. Well, thank you guys for coming on. It's been an amazing discussion. I'd love to have you guys on again. Um, let's talk sure. about anything. Um, but this has been Leftology. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, I'll be back in an undesignated amount of time to record a new episode.